you know, last week we talked about the days of Noah. Jesus was asked in Matthew 24. He says, what will it be like when the Son of Man returns? He says, it will be as it was in the days of Noah. They'll be eating and drinking, and they'll be marrying and giving in marriage. The ancient Jewish sages says giving in marriage meant that they were allowing, they were giving marriage covenants for men to marry men, and that's why God destroyed the world. At the end of June, our five judge, our uh, Supreme Court judges are going to make a decision about marriage. My guess is they'll probably just abdicate all responsibility and send it back to the states because prior rulings have told us uh, that they do somewhat honor marriage as between one man and one woman, and my guess is they will send it back to the states. And say, because in other rulings they've said it's not a federal issue, it's a state issue. So my guess, to stay in lockstep with precedent, they'll probably abdicate and send it back to the states. But nonetheless, our culture is coming apart at the seams. Darkness is quickly coming in. And it says that by faith, Noah, being warned of God. Everybody say, being warned of God. See, we're being warned by God. Being warned of God with fear. Moved with fear and prepared an ark. How many of you sense some fear that God's not happy with things? I fear that. I fear for our nation. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a wrathful God. It's called judgment, so we, we need to be mindful of that. Today, I want to tell you what the title of the message is, and we're going to go on. Last week, we talked about the signs of the times and that Noah was in faith when he feared and prepared. And we are in faith, and we're being warned of God, and we need to fearfully be moved to action, and we need to prepare for the coming day, just like Noah did in Hebrews eleven seven. So today we're going to go over, we're going to look in Jeremiah, and we're going to look at the fig tree. And the title of my message today is Looking to the Fig Tree to Israel. We were not told that Jesus, when he spoke to the disciples, he didn't say, look to the church, it'll tell you. He said, look to the fig tree. He says, remember the parable. Because the fig tree is the big picture. The fig tree tells it all, because the fig tree is likened unto Israel. Let's bow our heads, let's pray, and we'll go into... The message, Father, we thank you. We ask today that you'd come, speak through our uh, our mouths. Father, give clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit to speak as your uh, oracle, not of myself. Father, I ask that you would give each one here ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to be doers of the word of God that is spoken unto them. And Father, we pray that you would just uh, give us a deep and profound revelation of what uh, day it is that we live in. For you said that uh, the sons of Issachar were savvy and politically savvy, and they knew what to do in Israel because they understood the times. Father, we need to understand the time on the divine time schedule, the divine clock that's approaching the midnight hour. Father, we pray that you will give us understanding of what time it is in eternity, and we thank you for it now. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Well, Israel is likened unto the fig tree. It's all throughout the Bible. And I want to begin by going over into the Old Testament to Jeremiah, the 24th chapter. We're going to look at verses 4 and 5, and we're going to see how this is a great overarching, overriding parallel uh, and uh, symbol of Israel all throughout the entire scriptures. And then we're going to go over to the New Testament 
uh, to Matthew, the 11th chapter, then to Matthew, the 24th chapter. So we're going to hit three major scriptures as we start out our text this morning. It says in Jeremiah 24, verses 4, 5 and 6, it says, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I like, excuse me, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, like these figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah. And you know, Israel's gone into captivity many times. You know, the Babylonian captivity. They went into captivity in 70 AD. And there's numerous captivities. Then there's little microcosm captivities. Ziklag, when David, all the stuff was taken. The women were taken. Their goods were taken from them. And then he went back in and got it back. This is a picture of God. This is a picture of captivities and returns out of captivities on a micro level and a macro level. On the big scale and the small scale. And the little ones are little forewarnings and foreshadowings of the big ones that happened. The big one that happened to Israel for 2,500 years. But there were many in the book of Judges, captivities. And there, there were many times of apostating and, and then returning and then flourishing. And we see that throughout the whole of Scripture. Thus saith the Lord, the God uh, of Israel, like... These good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place into the land of the Chaldeans and for their good. God will let us go into captivity. The the cycle is ancient, and it's always the same. Great great need and and, and desperation and, and calling upon God and God becoming a deliverer and then the people... Serving and loving God and great prosperity, then complacency, and then uh, sin, and then apostasy, and then a wicked ruler is put over them, and then invading cap- invaders from other foreign lands come in and overpower them, and then captivity overtakes them, and the cycle goes on and on, and it always has throughout all the history of man. And it starts... When you see an evil king arise and then an invading, either covertly or overtly, enemy and then a captivity. And we see that in the book of Judges it says, and they found new gods. And then the enemies were inside the gate and then there was no swords found in Israel. In other words, there was no defense against it. In other words, by then, it's too late. And so we see that this captivity, he says, like the fig tree, I'm going to let you go into captivity, for I will set mine eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them again to this land. And then after the captivity, the restoration. And I will bring them again to this land, and I will build them and not, and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. Talking about like vineyards and the and the things that the uh, things that the vineyards grow on the trellises and all that that he won't take those down that it'll be permanent and we can see that Jesus likens Israel to that. Let's go quickly to Matthew and we're going to pick up in Matthew eleven and we're going to read twelve through fourteen and excuse me did I say Matthew I meant to say Mark Mark eleven and we're going to look at some things there. And we're going to see Jesus cursing a fig tree and how Israel was cursed. And we're going to look at that. 
If you don't understand these things, it's very important that you understand this, or you'll not understand the divine time clock of heaven. Mark 11. We're going to begin in verse 12. And on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off, having leaves... He came, if happily he might find anything thereupon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of the figs was not yet. But it was common for there to be leftover figs from the last season. That's, some people say, well, if it wasn't the season for it, why was he looking for figs? No, there, many times after the, the winter spell, there would still be figs on trees, and they would, and they would bloom late. And he, is, and he says this, and Jesus answered and said unto it, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And the disciples heard it. And then they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables and the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And he would not suffer that anyone should carry any vessels through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, it is, is it not written, my house is to be called uh, of, of, of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him. For he, they feared him because all the people were astonished at his doctrine. And when evening was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed, they saw the fig dried up from the roots. This is a picture of Israel. Many leaves, very religious, a lot of pomp, a lot of cereal, a lot of tall hats, a lot of long robes, a lot of religious activity, a lot of pious talk, a lot of religion but no fruit. Very leafy. Very, looked very good from a distance, but when you get up close, there's no goods there. There's no fruit. Jesus got up close and got in the synagogue. Oh, yes, there was great pomp and ceremony when he came into town, and they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, and there's great religion. But when he got in the temple, they were selling doves. They were, it was the money changers. It was no different than the world. There wasn't any real fruit that delineated and distinguished them from the world and its ugly system. And so Jesus cursed it. And see, that's a picture of Israel from that day forward coming under a curse that would last for 2,500 years of being displaced. And that curse that was demonstrated in the fig tree because of its religious unfruitfulness, he cursed it and it dried up and it withered. The same thing, what he was teaching those disciples is, this is Israel, this is my people. And they're cursed. And we go over there and it talks about the fig tree. And, you know, we can go over to Matthew 24 and 5 and 6. And he says in another place, he's talking again in Matthew. And let's go there. That's all the signs that they're given of the last days. In Matthew 24, and we can go over to that verse 33, and we really can go from 28 to 33, and it says, And for wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. There's going to be a war one day of Gog and Magog, and it says that the eagles, where the carcasses are, the eagles will come and eat. And that's going to be one of the great signs. We'll talk about it later in the sermon. But immediately after the tribulation, those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. This September, there is another lunar eclipse. 
The Jews call that blood moons. They call it the Shemitah year or the every sabbatical or seventh year when God either brings judgment or blessing to a nation based upon their relationship with him. And Jesus alludes to that here in verse 29, verse 30. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with all power and great glory. And it shall, he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together the elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And now learn of a parable of the fig tree. Everybody say the fig tree. Jesus told his disciples, you've got to watch the fig tree. You've got to keep your eye on Israel. He doesn't tell them to look to the church. He says the parable of the fig tree, of its apostating and rejection and captivity and then restoration that's referred to in Jeremiah. Not only in Jeremiah, but in Joel 1.7, in Hosea 9.10. We don't have time to go to all those verses. But he says, learn of the fig tree, the parable of the fig tree, when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth. Leaves, you know that summer is nigh. We don't know the day or the hour, the Bible says, but it does say that we will know the season. So likewise, when you see, shall see these things, know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things have been fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Then he talks about the days of Noah, which we talked about last week. But this great sign of the fig tree, of the 2,500 years of being rejected, so to speak, or put into captivity, like he said back in Jeremiah. But it was for their good, he says. In other words, God's into 2,500-year-long object lessons. Because man's really dumb and slow to get it. So he really makes it big so everybody can get in on it. And he gives this lesson that they would be cast out, so to speak, and all these things would begin to happen. There's been three uh, times uh, that we really can see the parable, and it begins, and then it says, but when, the, when it begins to flourish, you'll know that when Israel, when the fig tree begins to flourish. Let me just read that again. I'm, I'm going to go back to that. Now learn the parable of the fig tree, when the branch is yet tender and put forth its leaves. Everybody say, puts forth its leaves. You know that summer is nigh. In other words, when Israel, after being, and I'm going to teach you all about this today, about all of its horrible 2,500 years of being the people that were rejected by everybody on planet Earth and had no place to go. And then it says, but when they all come to be- together and the leaves come out and that place begins to flourish, he says, beware. That's the time of the end. And that's the parable of the fig tree. And we can go to the history of Israel, and there's some very amazing things. I want to give you seven signs concerning Israel, concerning the coming of Christ and the return of the things. And really, the fig tree is a visible picture. You might want to write this down. The fig tree is a visible picture of God's invisible time clock. And yes, it says that Israel will flourish towards the end. See, the reestablishing of Israel, number one, we're going to give you a sign, the reestablishing of the nation of Israel. We see Luke 21 talks about it, Mark 13 talks about it, and Matthew 24. In Luke 21, Jesus told Israel, because they had rejected the Messiah, they had missed the day of their visitation, that there was coming a time where the temple itself was going to be destroyed, the walls would be torn down, everything would be burned, many would be killed, 400,000. 
there would be many that would, much would be looted and they would be taken captive, many of them, and they would also be dispersed. And he said, this is coming. And the people couldn't understand what on earth is this man talking about? He talked about this taking place. And in 70 AD, the Roman general Titus brought in his legion, maybe the same legion that Jesus cast out of the devils. I don't know, but he brought in a legion and he destroyed the walls of the temple He destroyed the city and all that Jesus said, 400,000 were dead. He took the articles of worship and he named Israel Palestine. How many of you know what Palestine means? Palestine means ruled by the Philistines. Very interesting. And very profound. In 70 AD, the Jews were ran, they were sacked, pillaged, raped, killed, put into captivity, burnt. And the Roman general Titus stands up and says, we now call this the land of the Philistines. They were the Philistines. How many of you know the Philistines were always trying to take the land away from Israel? How many of you know that Goliath was a Philistine? And the Philistines were the wicked ones that were always warring against Israel in the time of Saul and David. And we go through, and that general, that Roman general, blasphemously pronounces over the land that God gave to Israel, this is now the land of the Philistines, or what we call Palestine. That's where the word Palestine comes from. So the next time you feel a lot of sympathy for the Palestinians, just remember they're the Philistines. Somebody said amen. So we know that that was not a good thing. We know that God had allowed that. And then we can see from 70 AD to the 20th century. You know, you think about the 20th century. When you go through the Bible, you can find 6,000 years of human existence recorded historically in the Bible. How do you do that? Well, how do you know when it was when Adam and Eve were? Because it tells you how old Adam lived to be. It tells you how old Adam's son lived to be. Tells you how old his son lived to be. And that's why those genealogies are in there, folks. Because if you add up all those, then you can start understanding how old the world was. And biblical record tells us that this world is 6,000 years old. Oh, but pastor, the professors tell us it's billions of years old. Oh, were they there? And now there's a lot of new creation science that they're trying to ignore. They're trying to marginalize. They're trying to say, but let me tell you something. Intelligent design And creation science has gone far past the old way of thinking, which is Darwinian evolution. That's about 50 years out of date, folks. Somebody needs to tell academia that. But we know that the world is about 6,000. So if it's 6,000 years old, that means it's about 60 centuries. Everybody say 60 centuries. And then we've got B.C. and A.D., and now there's 4,000 years or 40 centuries before Christ, and there's been about 20 centuries after Christ. And he is the pivotal uh, centrality and epicenter of the keeping of the record of time, Jesus' birth and resurrection and life and all that. And so we're talking about 20th century. We're really talking about 20 centuries after Christ. And we're living in the 20th century. There's a Jewish tradition, you know, in the Bible where it says, a thousand days is as a year. How many of you ever remember that? Or a day is as a thousand years. I think it's in Peter, if I remember right. 
And we know that many believe in the world of eschatology and Bible prophecy that the Bible talks about six days that God created the world and on the Sabbath day he rested. Many people believe that those six days, if a day, if a day is as a thousand years, that that's a parallel and a picture that there are 6,000 years and then Christ will come and there will be rest and there'll be a millennial reign of Christ. And he talks about him reigning for a thousand years before the eternal state. Well, we know that we're coming in and we're right at that door that 50, excuse me, 60 centuries have gone by. But let me tell you something, 59 of those 60 centuries were largely the same. How many of you know knowledge is doubling like every 18 months? How many of you know we started the 18th century or the 19th century and we thought phones you know, we're, you know, the first plane was in the first part of the, of the 20th century, and now look what we have for jets. Look what we have going to the moon and the type of technology that we have. Look at how the Bible says knowledge will increase, and people will be traveling to and fro. Knowledge, is expl- knowledge was about the same. You know, they were still doing war on horses only a hundred and some years ago. Yeah. Think about it. 59 of the centuries, almost nothing changes. And they did war on horses uh, 58 centuries ago. You come into the 59th century and we go, boom! And all of a sudden we're all the way up to the technology that we have today. I would say knowledge has increased. I would say we're living in a prophetic century. And I could give you, and we're going to talk about this Wednesday night because I can't even begin to cover all this today. But we are living in a prophetic century where there's so many Bible prophecies being fulfilled. It's absolutely unprecedented and unbelievable. But I'm going to believe it anyway. From AD 70 to the 20th century, Israel is called the land of the Philistines. And it went from the Jews to the Romans to the Byzantines to the Muslims to the Christians. And let me say the backslidden apostate Catholic Christians back to the Muslims. In other words, it's changed hands eight times. In Luke 21, 24, Jesus in Jerusalem, and he talks about being trod down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles being fulfilled. Israel was trodden down by the Gentiles starting in 70 AD when they came in and Titus ransacked the place, raped the place, and left it in ashes and the people in captivity and dispersed. And that was the time of the Gentiles, and it's been out of their hands, and they've been ran off from their homeland for 2,500 years. And the Jews, they went to the Romans, like I said, the Byzantines, the Muslims, the Christians, back to the Muslims. And for 25, see, Jesus calls that time prophetically. He knew it was coming. He could see the big picture, and he calls it the time of the Gentiles. Jesus in Jerusalem, he says, you will be trodden down. And they what are you talking about? by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Well, let me tell you something, folks. That time was fulfilled in 1948. And you go to 1917, the Balfour Declaration by the British, where they drove out the Turks and the Jews were given permission to migrate back. That happened in 19... That was on a Shemitah year. That happened when there was a blood moon, just like what's going to happen in September. The British drove out the Turks. They were given permission to move back. And after World War II, of course, Hitler did what he did to the Jews. 
the Jews were let go. We went and delivered and emancipated the Jews from the Holocaust. But nobody wanted them in their land. Nobody wanted these people. They would go to the shores of certain nations, and we could name many, and they'd say, no, you can't migrate here. You've got to leave. And thank God the British, because nobody wanted the Jews. And they gave them this little portion of this rotten little worthless land that had been overran and raped, and it was a desert and mountains and a bunch of um, swamps and worthless. Nobody wanted it. says, you can go there, Jew. We'll, we'll, we'll make you a place. We'll, we'll, we'll put you over in this place that nobody wants, that everybody's overran for all these years, that nobody, and, and basically it's ruined, it's left over, it's been decimated, it's been molested, the land has, but we'll let you guys go back there. And the Belfar Declaration in 1917 brought the beginning of a migration that was back to Israel and World War II when the Jews were released and everybody was rejecting them. It started to come in great numbers back to Israel. The time of the Gentiles was over, now the time of returning. The times of the figs being cursed was beginning to be over, and the time of it beginning to flourish was beginning to happen. And then in May 14th and 15th, 1948, Israel became a sovereign nation after 2,534 years of prophetic captivity. Jeremiah 30 and 35, 3 through 5. Let's all turn there and see if that's a prophecy that has been fulfilled. Now, I just gave you history. Now, let's look what was said thousands of years ago by the prophet Jeremiah. Let's see if he got it right. Jeremiah 30, verses 3 through 5. Look what it says. It says, For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel. And Judah saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers. And they shall possess it. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord God, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. So we can go back to these ancient things. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling. In other words, it's going to be a fearful time as well. But I will bring back out of captivity my people to the land of Israel. That took place, and that's the number one sign, is the nation of Israel becomes a nation after 2,500 years of captivity. No other people on planet Earth have ever done anything anywhere near like this. And yet the Bible prophesied and said it would happen one day. Can I get an amen, somebody? Number two, that Israel will take back their land, not just become a nation, but the second sign of watching the fig tree, Israel, is that the fig tree will come back and it, it will take back the land that God gave them. Amos 9.15, it talks about a land that was given to Israel. Let me read over there in Amos, and I want you to listen. Uh, we'll, we'll, let me do this first. Let me, let me give you some of the things. In 1948, two and a half million Jews migrate to a small portion of the land. And it was, it was an amazing thing because in 1967, how many remember what happened in 1967, June 5 through 10? Anybody remember what happened? The Six-Day War. You know, when that happened, the Jews had come back and all the... The, the surrounding nations, and those surrounding nations, of course, was a coalition of Egypt, Jordan, Syria, with troops from Iraq, 
Saudi Arabia and the Sudan and all these different groups. And we can see that how they centered around that small group of people. And I'm sure they said it's like a fishbowl. Now we got them, all these Jews. They've been in the dispersion. They've been dispersed all over the world since 70 AD. We've all hated them. And Hitler had a bunch of Jews over there in Germany. He says, we got to kill them. we got to eradicate them. we got to get rid of them. And then all this coalition rose up, Muslims. And he says, now we got them. Oh, man, they're back in this land. we got all the rats in the same bucket. Now's the time to drop the bomb on them. Now's the time to kill these guys. Now's the time to eradicate them finally off the face of the earth. And they surrounded Israel like a fishbowl. And they came out and they planned to kill them. And they formed a superior coalition. There's no way this little newly formed nation of just months old and with no military hardly to speak of and very few people and this little piece of land and all these powerful older nations and all that they, their might and power, they rose up and they came out against them and a miracle like unto has never been seen in modern time. A miracle like of biblical proportions when they went out to fight Israel, Israel turns around and defeats all of them. YouTube it sometime. Go and go through the documents. The soldiers on both sides said that they saw the angels of God come and fight for Israel. It's probably the most miraculous modern day sign and wonder that there is still a God that's concerned about uh, the children of Israel and has a covenant with Israel that there has ever been. And they absolutely defeated them. And the good news is that the result of that is they took back the Gaza, the Gaza Strip, the Golan Heights, the West Bank, the Sinai Peninsula. Not only that, they took back the eastern portion of the old city, the Garden of Gethsemane. I've been to all these places. The Mount of Olives, the Kidron Valley, the Temple Mount, the Western Wall, and Mount Zion. You see, it's just like when David went back into Ziklag and took back what the enemy had stolen from him. There used to be a song about that. Amos 9, 15 is fulfilled. Let's read Amos 9 and 15 and look what it says. I'll read verse 14 and I'll just, I'll read that whole thing. And it says, and I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant the vineyards and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit thereof. And I will plant them upon their land. Everybody say their land. God calls it their land because it was divided up and given to them in the day. Just like David conquered, uh, I can't remember who right now, but he conquered uh, some heathens and took Jerusalem and made it the capital city of Israel. And I'll plant them upon their land and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land which I give them, saith the Lord. Did you know that even though we want to take Israel back to its original borders, it's pre June 5th, 1967 borders. It's pre-six-day war borders. How many of you know that's not going to happen? Because God says never again will he allow that. Now, there may be some little dickering back and forth, and, but the Bible says that they took it back, and Amos is fulfilled. Number three, Jerusalem must be the capital of Israel. Turn with me to Psalms 102. We're seeing all these things come to pass. Psalms 102. Verses 13 and 16, and it says, Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion, 
for the time to favor her. Yea, the set time is come. The appointed time. The chronos moment. That's where we get chronograph or watch. And the time is come, and she'll build up Zion, and she shall appear in glory. How many know that Israel has been being built up and built up? Every time you go over there, I've been over there a couple times, and I'll probably be going a third time, that it is an unbelievable pace that they're building and that things are being changed and things are being restored and brought back. You see, because why is that? Because God calls Jerusalem the city of God. Psalms 48, 1 and 2 says, uh, Great is our God and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountains of His holiness. Beautiful for situation and the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. See, Jerusalem is called the city of God. It's called the, the capital of Israel because God made it that way and God is restoring it. Can I get an amen? So there's something very powerful and profound that's coming to pass as Israel is being rebuilt. Did you know it's been already been torn down and rebuilt eight times, that the temple has been torn down and the city's been torn down and rebuilt eight times? Everybody say eight times. Wow. How many of you know it's changed hands 27 times? And we're not talking the overall land of Israel. We're talking about the city of Jerusalem now. 27 times. And God says there'll be a set time where I will build it up and it will stay that way. And it's the only nation that has come back after almost 3,000 years. Well, 3,000 years ago, David conquered the, I guess it was the Jebusites and established Jerusalem as the capital. 400 years later, the Babylonian captivity came and destroyed it. In 1984, again, it became a nation. So there was great, a, a great long amount of time, period of time where it was in the hands of the enemies. Number four, another sign is that the Hebrew language will be reestablished in Israel. You know, I, as you look at that, uh, how many of you know, remember the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11? How many of you know that when God spoke, it says that God spoke to Adam in the cool of the day. How many of you know that God used to speak to Adam and Eve? The Hebrew scholars believe that God spoke in a Hebrew language. And I believe that to be true. And then there was a dispersion. You know, man got together and they thought they were going to build a great temple or a great tower, excuse me. And it says they were all of one mind and they were all of one language. And it says and that, that which they imagined to do, God would not be able to keep them from doing it. Because when there was great unity and there was great one language, there's something about the unification of language makes man's enterprises virtually unstoppable. And he says, and that which they imagined to do, except that he would come and destroy and disperse and confuse their language that he wouldn't be able to stop them. And what were they doing? They were building an ungodly, occult system of religious worship that was based on works that they would do to try to get themselves to heaven apart from the work of God, of Jesus Christ, that work of the cross, but by their own works. In other words, it was occult religion, and they were one religion. God says he wouldn't have been able to stop So God confused their language. Everybody say, God confused their language. That's where we get the word babbling from Babylon and the Tower of Babel, and the, dis, the, the, the you know, 
confusing of many, into many languages. But then it says in Zephaniah, I want you to turn in, in your Old Testament back to Zephaniah. Very interesting what it says back in the book of Zephaniah. Zephaniah 3.9. It says, For then will I turn the people a pure language. Everybody say a pure language. There's only one language that could have been pure, and it was the language of Hebrew. Because all others after that have been a, a confusion of languages at the Tower of Babel. For then will I turn to the people a pure language that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. Think about that one consent. That takes you right back to the book of Genesis. See, the Tower of Babel happened not long after the flood was over and Noah's sons went out and they, they possessed different nations. And that's the first time that the word nations is used. And there was a united nations <laughs> after that, and it was called the Tower of Babel. Because it's the first time the word nations is used, and it was the sons of Noah and the grandsons and the children of Noah. And it says that they all came together, and they began to form one. In other words, when the nations were all dispersed, how many of you know the, t- the plate tectonics at the flood were dispersed? The world was decentralized, and it was broken up into different nations, different con- How many of you ever looked at a map and said, you know, if you push all those continents together, they would fit like a puzzle? Anybody ever done that? See, that's because before the flood, the earth broke up, the Bible says, and the water came up from the aquifer. People say, well, it rained in the days of Noah. No, it didn't. The Bible says, the can- well, it did rain, but the canopy that was over the earth broke, and a massive amount of water just fell down on the earth. And it says, and the earth broke up, and it says water came up from the earth. So, the- so there was literally like earthquakes, and the earth type. The plate tectonics broke apart, formed the nations, and the water came up. And, of course, there's no evidence of a flood. Only 85% of the earth is covered with water, right? Duh. People say, there's no evidence of a flood. Oh, the world's covered, 85% of the world's covered with water. That's not evidence of a flood. But anyway. So, we have all these things. And we see that in Zephaniah that there was a time where there was a pure language. There was a time where they all got together, they conspired against God. There was a time where God confused the language and dispersed the people when they were nations, and and he had just done that in the flood, and now they're starting to get together and work against him again, and he judges them, and then he says, but there will come a time where there will be all the original pure language of Hebrew will come back together. How many of you know 150 years ago nobody spoke Hebrew? Anybody know that? Nobody spoke Hebrew. There wasn't, you know, nobody was speaking Hebrew. And now everybody in Israel speaks Hebrew. It's required. Another Bible prophecy come true about what the Bible calls the last days in the end times. Okay, let's go on to another one. I'm trying to speed through this very quickly because there's a lot of them. Number five, the fruitful fertility of the land of Israel. You see, during those 2,500 years, the land was just ruined. How many of you know everywhere that Muslims go, desertification follows? How many of you know what desertification is? It's not cake with ice cream sitting on top of it. I'm going to do some desertification right after church today, Pastor Bill. Give me a big old fat piece of cake and some ice cream. We're going to have some desertification. No, desertification is when good land turns into desert. 
And if you will follow history, and if you will follow where the Muslims plant themselves, God brings. How many of you know that all throughout the Bible, whenever there is a famine, wherever there is, where God shuts the heavens and there's no rain, it's called a curse of God. How many of you know everywhere that the Muslims go, that desert follows? Check it out yourself. Look at history. Look at where the Muslims plant themselves, and you'll find it stops raining. And desert, excuse me, desert, desert. It is almost 12. I've been thinking about dessert here. Get my mind thinking on some wrong things and look what happens. But anyway, and so desert begins to follow. And you can look at that. And Mark Twain went to Israel. Now we're talking about the fruitful fertility of the land being a sign of the last days. He said himself, Mark Twain said, it is so desolate here that none of this land could ever sustain any life. He said that. He's a famous person. I'm sure a lot of people said it, but when a famous person says it, they document it. So we have that as history. But it was a land of mountains and swamps and deserts. It was a horrible place. Place of lizards and owls and dragons, it says in the Old Testament. It was a terrible place. Nobody would want to live there. And let's go to Amos one more time. Let's read what it says back there in Amos. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink wine thereof, and they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. Now, if you'd have told Mark Twain that, he, would, he said, well, that's just an Old Testament, you know, Fable. That's an Old Testament legend. Are you kidding? Nobody could go in there and make that a fruitful land ever again. That place is a desert. It's worthless. Nobody wants it. That's why we put the Jews out there. Kind of get rid of them. How many of you know that was the attitude in that day? And the fertility of the land is supernatural. Today, I've been to Israel and seen the incredible irrigation systems, the incredible Megiddo Valley that was a swamp, and the incredible agriculture, the incredible palm trees, the incredible fig trees, the incredible olive trees, the incredible uh, fields filled with vegetables and fruit to the point that today 90% of all of Europe's fruit is provided by Israel. And not only that, there's more oil in Israel as of late they have found than all of Saudi Arabia put together. Well, now everybody wants Israel. But it's blessed because God brought his people back. Sign number six and last one. We'll try to close it out here quickly. Israel will be the center of all world politics. It's only been a nation since 1948. It was the absolute epitome of insignificance for 2,500 years. The wandering Jews were the stench of the earth that nobody wanted anything to do with, and Hitler said, I'll exterminate them. How many of you know God can bring back anything no matter how far gone you think it is? Because he's the God of the second chance and the God of restoration and the God of marching into our enemy's camp and taking back what belongs to us. Thanks be to God.
world politics. All eyes of the world are on Israel. Russia is going broke, and yes, its eyes are coveting the, uh, the oil of Israel very much so right now. In case you don't know that about world geopolitical activities. The Muslim world is calling for a jihadi annihilation of Israel. Kill them all. They're Satan. And of course, we're the great Satan. The Bible says that it'll be the center of political, of all political interests. The world wants to return Israel to its pre-1967 borders. And what's really sad is today we don't know it. But not only is our president committing treason and our Congress committing treason, because we are funding the next Holocaust of Israel. $12 million every two weeks gets sent, okayed by our president and Congress, to Iran, where they are building a nuclear bomb. And they have declared to the world that they're going to use it to destroy Israel and then us. But our excuse is, well... This is politics as usual. We got two enemies over there. We got Iran and we got ISIS and they're two bad guys. And we're going to send them money because it pays to have one of our bad guy enemies get taken out by the other bad guy enemy that we don't like. And then we'll kill two birds with one stone. But how simpleton and stupid are we to believe that? They are taking that money and they are building a nuclear warhead as fast as they can possibly get it built because they aren't doing it for geopolitical reasons. They're doing it for religious theological reasons. They don't believe that they just need to take Israel for its oil. They believe that until Israel is destroyed, their Messiah can't come back. They're as serious as an undertaker about getting this thing done. Because it is the very thing that will cause their Messiah they come back if you understand anything about Muslim theology. They have to annihilate Israel. And then, as the imams uh, would declare it, the, what's, the, what's the Messiah called? I can't think of what it's called, Dr. Mark. The Mati or, or something like that will be able to come. Wow. It's a religious fervor, dead serious, absolutely we must do this before our God type of thing. And we think they're just going to use it to take out ISIS. And, you know, when we fund the Holocaust of Israel, when we become partners and we become the funding and we become involved with the planned, it isn't going to happen, Holocaust of Israel, how many of that puts us at odds with our God? And it's not good. And there's a reason why America is not listed in the Bible in the end times. And it's a very frightening thought. doesn't mean that we'll be annihilated, but it means that we will no longer be considered a world power. I don't know if that we even are anymore. But anyway, we can look at this. And Russia is, is looking, and they're, wanting to, and they're wanting to do all these things, and everybody's ganging up on Israel, anti-Semitism, and the, and the college and the universities. People are all pro-Palestinian and very anti-Semitic, very anti-Jew, and all the big Ivy League and, and real intellectual high-dollar you know, universities today, it's very cool and it's very hip to be pro-Palestinian and very much anti-Israel. It is the culture that always begins in academia and then spreads itself out into the common culture. And it is happening, and there is a growing anti-Semitism in our nation today. Make no mistake about it. So let's go to what we call... Another sign is the war of Gog and Magog. First, let's go to Zechariah 12, verses 2 and 3. 
And it talks about what Israel will become in the last days will be a cup of trembling. Let me see. Zechariah 12, 2 and 3. Let's go there quickly. Are y'all getting bored with this? It seems like... All right. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. There's a siege forming. And in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. Everybody considers Israel a pain in the neck right now. Well, they won't cooperate. Well, they're a vicious little people. Who do they think they are? Why are they so mean to the, Palestine, the Philistines? Why do they not want the, Philist, excuse me, the Palestinians in their land? Because God said not to. That's why. And when they shall be a siege, and then it goes in, in that day I'll make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces. Another place in Zechariah. Verse 9, it says, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Let's go back up to the main verse. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut to pieces, though all the people of the earth shall be gathered together against it. There's coming a day where everybody's going to forsake Israel. Zechariah tells us it's a cup of trembling. All around, it's a burdensome stone. And I looked up into the original Hebrew. That burdensome stone is the idea that all who try to lift or move this stone will injure themselves, as the translation says. God has settled this place after 2,500 years of being dispersed. He says, now I'm settling it for once and for all and for good, and it's never going to move. And if you try to lift this stone, just remember, the hand of God is holding it down. He said, you ain't going to move it. And all that try to move that stone called Israel, the cornerstone is Jesus, are going to destroy themselves, the Bible says. And that's the war of Gog and Magog. Let's go and study that quickly, and then we'll be released. We're just about done. So it talks about this great turning on Israel in the last days. How many of you have seen that? How many of you are watching? How many watch Fox News at night? Anybody watch the news? It's pretty obvious that's happening right now. Verse Ezekiel 38 through 9 talks about the war of Gog and Magog. It talks all about it all throughout there. It'd probably be just before or after the rapture. It's a coalition of Russia, Iran, North Africa. North African Muslim nations gathered together with Russia and Iran in the name of peace and sympathy for the Palestinians. I'm sure that there would probably be some times where Israel will take some actions militarily and, oh, the world will, oh, wicked Israel, they're so terrible, they're so terrible. You know, they, they, they shoot a bomb and, you know, some child gets hurt. But it's all right for the Palestinians to kill and, and, and do all that they can against Israel. It's only one side yeah. only gets reported. Only how bad Israel, if they do anything. But the Palestinians can do all kinds of terrible things and nobody says anything. It's, yeah. See, that's the world turning against Israel. Yeah, right. Somebody say amen. amen. And in the name of peace. And all these things. But you know what the true reason why Gog and Magog, and that's referring to Russia. And, of course, Russia will be formed together with Iran and some of these North African Muslim nations. 
The real reason is because they want to take a spoil. They're coveting the oil and the resources. Because how many of you know Russia's going broke? And the big bear is rising up looking for some prey to take. He says, hmm, we're going to go down and we're going to take what Israel has. Ezekiel 39, 1 through 4. We're going to read quickly in verses uh, 1 through 4 in Ezekiel 39. I'm sorry, Ezekiel 38, I'm sorry, 11 through 13. Ezekiel 38, 11 through 13. And thou shalt say, I will go up to the land of the unwalled villages. I will go to them that are at rest, that dwell safely, and all them that dwell without walls and having neither bars nor gates. See, they see Israel as, a, as an open thing. To take a spoil... This is the war. All of Ezekiel 38 and 39 is talking about Gog and Magog in the war. To take a spoil and to take a prey, to turn thine hand upon the desolate places that are now inhabited. Oh, that's Israel. The desolate places that are now inhabited, we know that's Israel. And upon the people that are gathered out of the nations, but we know that's Israel. Which have gotten cattle and goods and dwell in the midst of the land, who now are very flourishing. We know that's Israel. Sheba, and, and it lists all the places. In other words... The reason is to take a spoil. They're needing Israeli oil right now. And look what it says in, over there in Isaiah, Zechariah. I'm, gonna, I'm having to cut some out because I'm, I'm in a hurry here trying to go through. 39, 1 and 4. Let's go back to 39 or go over to 39, 1 and 4. And it talks about, Therefore thou son of man prophesy against Gog and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog the chief prince of Magog, Meshech, and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and leave but sixth part of thee. In other words, I'm going to destroy and only a sixth part of you is going to be left. And I will cause thee to come up from the north parts and will bring thee upon the mountains of Israel. See, that's the natural place where they'll come down to, the northern part where the mountains are. And I will smite thy bow out of thy hand and will cause thine arrows to fall out of thy right hand. And thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, thou and thy bands. In other words, he's saying the northern part where the mountains are of Israel, he's going to destroy them. And thou shalt fall upon the mountains of Israel, upon all the bands and the people that is with thee. And I will give thee unto the ravenous birds of every sort, and to the beasts of the field to be destroyed. It'll take seven years to clean up the bodies, the Bible says. There will be such an immense slaughter that will take place in that day. The seventh sign is that very sign. The slaughter and cleanup for predatory birds. The anthologists are saying right now, or anthologists, excuse me, said there's basically 446 predator-type birds of prey in the world today. That's what science tells us. 172 of those species are having a very bizarre and massive migration to the northern mountains of Israel. Let me read 39. Listen to this. And God is going to put a hook in Magog's jaw and say, and pull them down, like pulling a fish in to its very slaughter, to its end. We can see here in Isaiah, excuse me, Ezekiel, 38 and 4. I'm, going to read, I'm jumping back around here, and I'm trying to cut some things out for time. And he says, And I will turn thee back, and I will put hooks into thy jaws. And I'll bring thee forth all thine army and horses, 
and horsemen, and all of them clothed with all sorts of armor, even a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Then he tells where they're all from, which I just mentioned. God's going to bring them. They're going to covet the oil of Israel. They're going to go for a spoil, and they're going to come down, and the Bible says they'll be slaughtered. How many of you know when you go to fight Israel, you're not going to win? That's what the Bible is saying here. Then in, in chapter 39, look what it says in verse 4. It talks about, And all the mountains of Israel, thou and all the bands of thy people, be with thee, and I'll give thee to the ravenous, bird, ravenous birds every sort and to the beasts of the field. We're going to drop down to verses 17 through 20. Look what it says. And thou son of man, thus saith the Lord, speak unto every feathered fowl. This is God talking to the birds. And thou son of man, thus saith the Lord God, speak unto every feathered fowl and to every beast of the field. Assemble yourselves and come, gather yourselves on every side to my sacrifice that I do sacrifice for you, even the great sacrifice upon the mountains of Israel, that ye may eat the flesh and drink the blood. Ye shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of the rams, of the lambs, and of the goats, of the bullocks, and of the fatlings, of the bashans. And ye shall eat fat till ye be full, and drink blood till ye be drunken of the sacrifice which I have sacrificed for you. Thus ye shall be filled at my table with horses and chariots, with mighty men, with all the men of war, saith the Lord. And right now, there's a great migration of birds to the northern mountains of Israel. That is the last and the final sign. Six signs. Keep your eye on the fig tree. Every turn you ever say, keep your eye on Israel. It's the divine time clock of God. Amen. I'm going to say them real quick. The reestablishing of Israel, number one. Number two, Israel takes back the land. It's happened. Number three, Jerusalem is the capital city of Israel. That's happened. Number four, excuse me. Number four, the Hebrew tongue is reestablished as the language of Israel. That's happened. Number five, the fruitful fertility of the land of Israel. That's already happened. Number six, the preparing for a great war in Israel. And the birds are already gathering as the word of God says So we must be getting very close. Let's stand up. Let's bow our heads. Let's prepare our hearts today for the day that we're living in. The time clock is ticking. It's almost high noon, so to speak. You need to make preparations. You need to make sure your heart is right, that you've forgiven, that you are born again. And you need to make sure that all is in order for the days that we're coming into. We need to prepare like the days of Noah. We need to prepare like Joseph in the time of plenty for the time of famine. We need to make ourselves ready as the bride of Christ for the time is at hand.